We are continuing our sermon series in the Bless Rhythms called Missional Practice. And this Sunday, we're talking about the practice of eat, right? And um, there'll be a couple of passages that I'm going to be jumping around for this morning. I'm not necessarily just focusing on one passage. There's a couple of different passages I'm going to be talking about. And if you're joining for the first time, I just want to go over uh, the acronym BLESS Rhythm, all right? Um, and also, if you're not here for the first time, let's just say you forgot what Pastor Ramon has been preaching about the last couple of weeks, there's a good review, all right? So B stands for BLESS. Surprise. Can't forget that one, right? B stands for BLESS. L stands for LISTEN. Uh, L stands for listen. E stands for eat, as I mentioned. The first S stands for speak. And then the last S stands for Sabbath. So these are the missional practices. These are the, the exercises that's meant for us to be outward focused. And I think it's important for us just to kind of recap that. What I want to do real quick is I want to pray, ask the Lord for his help, and then we will kind of dive into eat this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you asking you for your grace, asking you for your mercy. Thank you for bringing us together. The fact that we get to gather as the people of God, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, it is such a joy to, to, to talk, to hug each other, to laugh, and to worship you. So we thank you, first and foremost, for just bringing us together and knitting us together as this diverse family that we are. As I always ask, Lord, please hide me behind the cross so that your word will get proclaimed, your people will be encouraged, because ultimately we want to glorify you, edify your church, and advance your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, what I want to do kind of to start this off, Roosevelt, is I want to just share a quick video uh, from the Surge Network. And for those that may not be familiar, it's an organization led by Danae Pierre, uh, Pastor Ramon's wife. And Surge's mission is to put Jesus on display as uh, put Jesus on display through the collective witness of God's people in every part of the city. And more specifically, they do that through equipping, through reconciling and acting, activating God's people. Uh, and they also have a, a, what they call a surge school, a surge table. In fact, some of you are here that are on that surge school. Go ahead and make some noise for those. All right. For those that are on the surge table, go ahead and make some noise for, okay, all right, there we go. Yeah, one person. Uh, but yeah, it's a nine-month, um, essentially, leadership development curriculum that really helps um, those kind of understand the biblical story or the gospel story. So what I want to do is um, they did a video for their One Meal campaign that I think is really, really dope, and it talks about the rhythm of eating. And I believe that they did this extremely well. So I wanted to share this video. Take this as like a visual representation of what I'm talking about when it comes to the rhythm of eating. Video is about four or five minutes long. So Michelle, go ahead and cue the video. It started with one meal. In 2007, pastors gathered around a table to eat a meal and learn from one another. 
They were interested in seeing every part of our city discover Jesus, but were convinced that this could never happen through one church, network, or denomination. They believed more churches needed to be started and existing churches needed to find ways to communicate to those unfamiliar with the church. So they began gathering regularly to eat and learn together. Nine times a year they gathered to break bread. They became captivated by the truth that the church was not simply one individual church, but it was the collective witness of all God's people. They began to pray toward a citywide church movement. These leaders discovered the truth that the church is not hidden in buildings, but are a sent people, called to live distinctly from the world and yet be within the world. They realized the church is actually represented by the countless congregations and hundreds of thousands of men and women who proclaim Christ. They realized these men and women enter into various industries, neighborhoods, and schools every day with an opportunity to give and receive God's love. A vision emerged in which they desired to see pastors and congregations repurposed to become senders and missionary servants into every part of our city. The initial result of this vision was a training program called Surge School. Surge School became a way congregations could host tables with small groups of leaders and equip them with vision and practice to display the character of God in all that they say and do. As Surge Tables gathered weekly and began to train hundreds and then thousands of men and women from more than 30 different congregations, there became a growing desire from church leaders to cross denominational lines and seek unity. Reformed, Baptist, Pentecostal, Anabaptist, and Anglican churches began to identify as part of Surge. Pastors from different nations, ethnicities, and parts of our city began to catch on to the power of a meal. A seminary was started to train leaders. Of course, meals was part of this as well. A network of international pastors formed called the Daniel Initiative. These leaders who had immigrated from every region of the globe began to regularly intercede for a movement of God in our cities. Church planters from various backgrounds gathered monthly for meals. Women serving within local churches began to eat together every month to sharpen and encourage each other to engage in our city as peacemakers and reconcilers. Churches that were bilingual or Spanish-speaking began gathering regularly to receive training on becoming missional churches. A network of bivocational leaders was birthed to encourage inner-city pastors as they faithfully minister to the margins. Meanwhile, thousands of individuals who had been trained by Surge were continuing to have intentional meals and reenact the story of God through their vocations. We have seen meals focused on engaging in justice issues, spiritual formation, and faith and work. We've seen the power of one table grow into countless. Surge School alone asks men and women to initiate a meal every week. That means every week hundreds of men and women have intentional meals, two to three times a week for nine months. That's about 108 meals eaten every year by about 200 students, meaning approximately 21,600 intentional meals happen every year through Surge School. And that has been happening for years. One meal became hundreds of thousands. Thank you for those who have been a part of building and hosting these tables, for the friendship, time commitment, and financial resources needed to build our lives around a shared table. We pray this is only the beginning of countless more meals. If you've yet to join us, we hope to meet you at the table. about eating, there is something that is very unique about it. There are three things I want to share. One of them is what eating does, 
the intent of eating. But first, I also want to talk about what actually happens when we are breaking bread with one another. We can say that there's something divine, even something mysterious that is happening. It's really even hard to put into words when you actually think about it. So first, what happens when we are eating among each other? Uh, what I'm trying to uh, maybe summarize this with is at the table, we experience the characteristics of God among one another. When we're at the table, when we're at the restaurant, where we're at, wherever it is that we're at, this divine nature, this mysterious thing that is happening, I'm just saying that uh, we are experiencing the divine attributes of God in a real, meaningful way. When we think about who God is, right, we could say God is love, God is, uh, he's merciful, he's compassionate, he's all these different types of things describing who God is. I want to say that he shows up at the table. So we take for the instance, God is love, 1 John 4, 8, where it says that we obviously know that that's one of the attributes of God that we all gravitate to, that we all like, that we all are, yeah, God is love, right? And at the table, that is experience. Also, God is patient. We see this in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. This idea of God being patient shows up at the table as well. We can also say that God is a humorous God. God is a funny God. Can we say that? Uh, I, I get that because when we think about the idea of a sense of humor, Psalm 59, verses 7 and 8, kind of communicates this aspect that God has a sense of humor. When I say the sense of humor, I'm talking about the ability to perceive, to enjoy, or express what is comical? Apparently, in Psalm 59, verses 7 through 8, God laughs at people. And specifically, he laughs at those that are in rebellion against him because he ultimately knows what's going to happen to them in the end. Right? All throughout the scriptures, we could say that God does some funny things and he laughs. And then we can also say that God is intentional. There's intentionality with God. I mean, what I mean by that is we see in the Genesis account, the creation account, that God was speaking things into existence. And then in Genesis 1, 26 through, 20, through 28, it says that he created human beings in his image and likeness. And that idea of that he, he created is a way to just say that he, he, he fashioned humankind. He didn't just speak things into existence like he was doing with the other things, but we can say that God came down and got his hands dirty <laughs> when he decided to actually create us. That's a, that takes some intentionality. When you think about those divine qualities, by the way, that's just four of them that I'm mentioning. There's a whole host of them. But when you think about these divine qualities, they show up at the table. Obviously, hopefully, you're sharing a meal with people you love to some degree. Amen. So amongst the table, there is love being shared. Also, in some ways, there's some blessing, obviously, being uh, bestowed as well. Because when you're in shared community, when you're in shared space with one another, there's this aspect of love that is uh, uh, um, going out on the table and amongst the people. Not only love, but we see that 
there's some patience that's at the table too. Patience in two ways. One, this is for people that tend to, um, no shade to the people that, you know, go to McDonald's and, you know, order something real quick. Nothing wrong with that per se. But when you are in the kitchen and you're making things and you're, uh, uh, um, um, you know, there's patience that has to be done. Especially if you're making, you know, some baked macaroni and cheese, for instance, right? Or whatever it is that you're making, there's patience being bestowed. And then when you get to the table, when you're having conversation, sometimes the conversations are a little bit more fruitful than others. But there's patience that's also being given amongst the people, right? So we see this quality also showing up. Um, humor. Laughter. Joy. Again, at the table, there's an experiential aspect to the divine qualities. And if you're at my table, there's always laughing that tends to happen. Because, again, when we think about who God is, one aspect of him, uh, he's funny. He's humorous. And we experience this there. And also with the intentionality, again, when you're making a meal for somebody, there's some intentional aspects that is happening. So all of these divine qualities show up in some way at the table. If I was to ask you whether it's, you know, your favorite holiday, your birthday, whatever the case may be, you would probably say that these are some qualities that are happening. And when you enjoy that, I would say you're sharing in this mysterious yet divine aspect when it comes to eating. I'm not sure if any of you maybe have thought it, broke it down that type of way, but I do think there's something unique that is happening when you are with somebody eating, especially amongst one another in community. So that's the first thing. There's something of the characteristics of God that we experience. The second thing is at the table, when you're eating among one another, it tends to break down barriers. It tends to break down barriers. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 29 says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to them, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose up and followed him, follow Jesus. And Levi made a feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And this is an interesting scene in the Gospel of, of, of Luke where Jesus is amongst this tax collector. Now, if you don't know anything about tax collectors, in the Bible, typically, these were people that were classified amongst uh, prostitutes and amongst those that would be deemed as sinners and in rebellion to God. So the fact that Jesus is even among these types of people, in some ways, it's a bit weird and it's a bit scandalous because, Jesus, you can't hang around with those types of people. A tax collector um, also were people, they were responsible for collecting taxes and the tolls on behalf of the Roman government. So the Jewish people almost looked at them as kind of like sellouts because some of them would actually charge higher taxes and almost kind of exploit the Jewish people. You ever heard the phrase or heard the saying, oh, those people are working for the man? 
that's the type of idea, that's the type of phrase that some people looked at as tax collectors. So again, Jesus eating with them or even hanging around them, that's like a big no-no amongst some of the people during that day. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 31. He says, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. It's interesting with Jesus all throughout the gospels, he's eating a lot and he tends to be eating with people that you wouldn't necessarily associate himself with. And I would say, in one aspect, he's breaking down some barriers. He's breaking down the barriers of tax collectors and somebody who's Jewish like himself, and they're in the same vicinity. They're at the same table, and they are eating with one another. The text says that Levi made a great feast as Jesus came into his home. The idea of inviting somebody into your home, there's a level of, in, of intimacy. There's a level of closeness. There's a level of, of, you don't just invite anybody into your home. And the fact that you can do that, or we see that Levi doing that, is breaking down some barriers. It's breaking down maybe some stereotypes. It's breaking down some aspects of whoever you may think that person is, is breaking those barriers down. You don't just eat a meal in your home with anybody. Now, if I was to ask you or say, or maybe even think, what are some ways in your life that you maybe ate a meal with somebody and it started to break down some, some barriers? Um, for the record, for those that go to school, and there's always a group of people in school that are like the cool people, people that everybody wants to hang around, right? But there tends to also be people that for some reason, maybe people don't want to hang around them, right? I remember, because I wasn't always as cool as I am now. <laughs> I remember um, when I was in middle school, actually, and um, I moved around a lot, so going to different middle schools was part of uh, my journey. And um, I remember getting my, my, my lunch tray. Y'all remember the lunch trays? I don't know if they do that anymore, but we had the little lunch trays. You also had those like uh, those little potato wedges that we used to eat. And when I was uh, getting a lunch tray, going to sit down, I remember um, it was kind of like this, like a like a scene in the movie, where it's like everyone was like taking up the, the the place where I wanted to sit. And it's like the cool kids, no, you can't sit here. Nope, you can't sit here. No, you can't sit here. And then I was relegated to the back where nobody was, isolated by myself. And I was like, man, this school sucks. <laughs> but I remember somebody came up to me. Um, it was somebody that was actually uh, of a different ethnicity. And they came and sat down with me, and we started to have a conversation. And it was just interesting how initially, what I initially thought, and how as we started to have a meal at this lunch table, how some barriers began to start to break down things that they thought about me, things that I thought about them, and we actually realized, like, yo, there's a lot of stuff that we actually have in common. There's some things that we don't have in common. There's some things that we disagree with, but there are some things that we actually do agree on, and that person became a good friend for that uh, few months that I was at that school because I moved to another one. 
when you move to another school. Um, but you all have your own personal story as well. When you have a meal with someone, sometimes it can break down certain barriers. Now, whatever those barriers are, I'll let you think about that. But I'm just saying that tends to happen. And I think in this text, that also happened with, with, with Jesus and this, this Levi. So not only that when we're having a meal or we're at the table, we're experiencing the divine characteristics of God in a strange, mysterious, unique way. But at the table, it also is breaking down barriers. But also, we can say, when I think about the intent of eating, it's a community practice. It is something that is communal. And when we look at the early church, specifically in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, there are a couple of things that the people are doing. They're at the apostles' feet, listening to some teaching. Of course, they're praying. Not only praying, but they also are fellowshipping with one another. And then it says that they are breaking bread. They're eating. They're sharing. The text says also they had everything in, in, in common in some ways. So this idea of eating as a community practice, that is something that I think is very, very important for us and the, this, as Jesus' disciples because when we think about it, eating is in some ways a spiritual practice. We all have to eat to some degree, right? We all have to eat. And it's something that we do each and every day, but it is this rhythm. It is a, a, a blessed rhythm of eating that we do. When we gather together and have a meal together, we are walking in the ways of Jesus. And not only in the ways of Jesus, but also in the ways of his disciples. I was reading this article regarding this idea of, of, of eating and communal eating, and it's from the Atlantic, and it says, Around the table, all previous meals come together in every meal in an endless succession of memories and associations. The table is the place where the family gathers, the symbol of solidarity. And I love that because when I think about the times that I've been at the meal, when, I, when I've been at the table eating a meal, there are certain memories that I have. A lot of them are very good ones, and I associate with certain foods with certain memories, right? And I think it's the same thing for you. And this idea that this is a family, uh, family gathers, the, the symbol of solidarity at Roosevelt, one of the values that we always say is we are a diverse family. And diverse families, they eat amongst one another, just like we saw in the video with the Surge Network. This idea of eating is something that is very, very good. Um, there are people at our church that I think they do this practice very, very well. And um, one of the families that I think do this well is the Cheney family. Uh, we all know that, well, some, most of us know the Cheney family. Um, but they are extremely well when it comes to hospitality, generosity, and opening up their home to have a feast. And when I say feast, I really mean that, a feast with one another. I have so many stories just in my own life, my family, about how the Cheney family, they do this very, very well. And I'm sure there's others as well that, that tend to do this. But as we think about this idea of eat as a missional practice, I want us to really think about this, not only necessarily just with the people of God, because we should do that, but also the other people, the, the, the other people that are sitting off in that far off lunch table 
that nobody wants to sit with? What are those people in your life? What are those people in your neighborhood? What are those people in your communities? What do they look like? What are their stories? How can we kind of break down barriers amongst them? And when we use our home as this place to actually do that, I think is very, very powerful. It's a very, very powerful uh, tool for us to be able to build relational capital with others, especially when there's actually good food being made. Amen? So how do we kind of go about do this? Because eating around the table means not only, like, not only eating, but also talking as well, in which we'll talk about speak next week. It's if only to say a few words of praise for what is presented to us at the table. We talk about what we're what we have eaten before and what we're going to eat and everything in between. And you also have what I like to call a lot of spiritual conversations around the table. And these are not spiritual conversations that are actually forced. Sometimes they just come up, right? So as we move into like the practice of this, because Roosevelt, this is not one of the series. This is not a message or a sermon that you should say, oh, that's a really good idea. All right, hopefully you're hearing this from the series but saying, how can I actually apply this in my life in real time? If you didn't know, the scriptures are intended for us to actually do something, right? The scriptures are intended for us to actually do something and, and move in a certain type of way. And I think with this, I think this is very, very important. So I wish I could take credit for this, but I can't. Uh, but there was a pastor by the name of Abe Cho in New York, and he kind of broke this down. And I think this is a helpful way to kind of break this down in terms of how this can be done. All right. So this is how, how it is. I think my math is correct on this. Okay. I'm not really a good math person, but I think I got it right. So typically, typically, there's three meals per day that we eat, right? Some of us, generally speaking. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, right? Three meals per day. From a week perspective, that means that there are 21 meals within a week. Follow me? Three meals per day, 21 meals per week. When we break it out from a month perspective, we're at 84 meals. Follow me? My math's still correct, okay? Three meals per day, seven meals a week, 21, excuse me, 21 meals a week, 84 in a month. And then when we break it down from an annual perspective, that means that there's 1,008 meals per year. Now, some of you, you eat way more than that, okay? Amen, somebody, right? But if we just take that breakfast, lunch, and dinner framework in a year, it's 1,008 meals, right? It's a lot of meals. What I want you all to commit to is let's just, this is going to make this very, very simple. Donating 1% of your meals to eating with someone that's different from you. About 1%. Okay, 1% is very, very low. Some of you could probably say, oh, I could probably do 20% or 30%, whatever the case is. I'm just saying, as we want to be missional and as this is a practice of, a, of us, donate about 1% in a year. 
to having a meal with someone that is different from you, that person that is at that lunch table that you don't want to go next to. So what this means is we're talking about about 10 meals per year. How simple that is? 10 meals per year that you can say, you know what, I'm going to have lunch with this person. I'm going to have coffee with this person. I'm going to invite this person over my home. It could be the person at your school. It could be the person at your work. It could be the person that you see at the gym. It could be the barista that you have a good relationship with. Whatever it is, there's aspects that I think that we can really do this when we really break it down that simple. And we're talking about 10 meals per year of eating this blessed rhythm, this missional practice with others that are different from you, right? Now, with that, you want to break it down individually, you want to break it down communally. Individually, it's probably a lot more easier for some people. Um, but when we think about communally, for the families that are in the room, I just want to say that um, since you already have to eat, is very simple in the sense of just inviting somebody over to your home. Now, I know trust has to be built up. I know all of that. But since you already have to eat, and let's say maybe it may be a thing that you say every Wednesday or every Thursday, uh, this is going to be the, the, the time that we open up our home to our neighborhood, right? Now, this means that you got to be like, you got to, be intentional with trying to know your neighbors, right? Not just going into your home and not just closing your door and just being in your own little, you know, uh, own home. It means that you actually have to go out and actually, like, be active <laughs> in your community, in your neighborhood. And this takes some time and stuff as well. But I think that these markers here are very, they're really doable when you really think about it. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And I think that's what most people kind of tend to do. Um, so that's the call of action for us. And as you do these, I believe you will build more relational capital with people. You'll create memories, some that may even last a lifetime. You'll get to share your faith with others. And again, some of these spiritual conversations, they will just randomly come up. I was at a table actually this week. And there was some Jewish people that was there, and they were talking about some interesting things. And there was a Roman, Roman Catholic that was there, and he was talking about some interesting things. And I did not walk in. I didn't, I didn't plan that, right? And then, of course, the question comes, oh, well, what do you do for work? And then I'm, uh, you know, I'm a pastor. And then that opened up a whole other can of, of worms. Again, not something that I walked, I didn't wake up that morning saying that, that that was going to actually happen, right? So sometimes you just get into spiritual conversations almost. <laughs> For us, we may seem, it may seem by accident, but in all actuality, it's in God's providence and his sovereignty that we are a part of these different things. So that's my encouragement that I think that we can do. Um, for those that may say, well, it's still hard. Um, for you to find time, you know, kids do sports, kids do this, whatever the case may be. My encouragement and challenge would be, well, I think that you can sacrifice. That's a word that we don't really hear too often. 
right? I think you can sacrifice. I mean, remember, it's 1,008 meals per year. I think you can sacrifice a couple meals per year. The same way that Christ Jesus sacrificed for us. Amen? 